You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 5720 Ridge Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. So I want to talk tonight about following Jesus when we're so busy. I think it's hard to for people to figure out why and how we're supposed to follow Jesus 2,000 years after he lived on earth, why and how we're supposed to read the Bible. It's hard to contextualize Jesus in our busy lives sometimes. But uh, you're already at this meeting, so you prioritized it amidst everything else in your life. So I think that you're working with Jesus and you want to be a part of something that God is doing. So let's figure out how to do it together, and even when our lives are full. Uh, when, when Jesus was on earth, he told stories to help people relate to him, and we call them parables. C.H. Dodd, who is a uh, New Testament theologian and scholar, describes parables this way. At, at its simplest, the parable is a, a metaphor or a simile drawn from nature and common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness, and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. They can be confusing sometimes, these parables, and seemingly irrelevant in our context. Um, the Bible, in general, can be hard to use and understand sometimes. And I think we feel like it doesn't, if we feel like it doesn't make sense, or we can't relate, or it doesn't relate to us, we might just give up trying. For those of you who feel like that, don't give up. Ask questions, even if you don't find the answers right now, asking them is a good way to relate to the Bible. That's why we say that understanding and following the Bible is a group project, and we do it together. I was looking for a Bible for my daughter, who's turning 10 this month. Uh, she's ready for another type of Bible that meets her stage of development. And I've been wondering about what would be most useful to her. And there are hundreds of options. I found a Bible that has these side columns that highlight a verse on each page in like fancy lettering that you can color in. I found many journal Bibles that have empty lines for journaling next to the passages. Uh, one that has structured questions so you can write in the answer. So it really got me thinking about how I want her to relate to the Bible. And I finally settled on one that has both um, an inserted columns that help make sense of the passage with some like ancient context or, or a modern story that illustrates it, and blank lines for writing down questions and thoughts. Because I want her to learn to ask questions about the Bible. I want her to be okay with not knowing all the answers and wondering about God and how God relates to us. So if you are asking questions like that and wondering how Jesus is relevant in our context, that's a great place to be. 
but it can be hard to get there when our lives are so full, when we um, may not even have time to reflect or ask questions before we're off to the next thing that demands our attention. We have jobs, families, friends, school, children, leases, anxiety, depression, it goes on and on. There's lots of things that occupy us or preoccupy us. We sometimes even have trouble sleeping, uh, getting enough sleep, exercising, eating well, going on vacation even, putting away our work. Life can feel complicated and overwhelming. Sometimes just keeping our head above water is hard enough. Um, we're so aware of our limits because we can't even get caught up on our email or the TV shows that we're supposed to watch. I think that the pressures and the demands of the world are not new. We have our own new demands, that's true, but um, we are in a fortunate position uh, because we generally are not starving or looking for shelter and so on. If you are in this community and uh, you, you do have need of those things, there are resources to help you. We don't want anybody's inability to meet their basic needs to prevent them from following Jesus. So we have a mutuality fund. For every dollar that we share in our common fund, we 10% of it goes to a mutuality fund that helps people pay bills, buy groceries, and even subsidizes psychotherapy. But we have medical care, hospitals, education, lots of modern day luxuries that people all over the world don't have. But we still have reasons that make following Jesus hard because, uh, especially when we're so busy. And I want to acknowledge that. It's worth noting that distractions and excuses can keep us from Jesus and the alternative that he's offering. So let's look at a passage in scripture, um, maybe even in a new way for you. Jesus' parables take on new meaning, I think, intentionally, as new audiences hear them. The Gospel of Matthew has this a version of this story, and so does the book of Luke. But they're each doing something different with them, so we're going to just look at the one in Luke for now. Uh, Luke is a gospel written to foreigners called Gentiles. Um, this parable is right in the middle of a part of Luke called the Gospel of the Outcast, where Jesus is touching the poor, the crippled, the sick, outcasts in society. In fact, right before this parable, he tells the religious rulers that when you throw a party, don't throw them, don't invite your friends. And, uh, invite poor people. He's trying to communicate that the good news of Jesus is for everyone. So in Luke 14, verse 15 to 24, the parable we're going to read, can someone read that for us? When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, 
come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Thanks, Tony. So a wealthy person has prepared a banquet and invited many guests. The way Luke tells this story, the emphasis isn't on the host, it's on the guests. Who were likely invited already earlier because banquets like this would take a long time to prepare. And then the servant is sent out with the second notice. It is ready, come. And people make excuses for why they can't be there. Luke is probably making a socioeconomic point. The excuses from the wealthy are a matter of their own wealth and self-service. They are too rich, too successful, too in love to participate in the banquet. So the owner sends the servant out to the streets to find the outcasts and invite them. And there's room for even more people, so he invites them as well. The word is compel in this uh, translation because they're probably so used to rejection and being downtrodden that they need to be convinced to join. And the final note from the wealthy landowner is not a promise. He's telling us the truth. They won't taste the banquet because they won't change. Those who've given excuses literally have, have to become less preoccupied to stop making excuses and to say yes, to come and see, to experience the feast. So what does that mean for us? Um, for one, I think it means that don't let your worldly status hinder you from entering the body of Christ. All are included and welcomed as you are, or I guess as you could say, in spite of who we are. In Christ, we have a new identity together. And it doesn't erase how the world sees us, but it does give us a new starting point. None of the worldly distract distinctions preclude you, rich or poor, black or white, man or woman, adult or child, gay or straight. You are included. One of our Proverbs states it clearly. Bringing people to Jesus is our primary goal. How someone identifies themselves when we meet them is less important than making room for them in God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is like that. The invitation is for all to come to the banquet. 
through Jesus. Immediately after this parable, Jesus is followed by many people, and he tells them that unless they turn their backs on families and relationships and possessions, they cannot be his disciples. And we hear Jesus say things like this in the Gospels. But understood in the context of this parable, to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to move outside of the narrow circle that you've been accustomed to. You must move into a new community that Jesus creates, which he's creating daily. God's abundant love works like this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God made room for us through Jesus. There is a place for you with God. There is room for you at the table. The kingdom of God is this banquet where we are included and known, forgiven, and reconciled to one another and to God. The servant said it there at the bottom or in the middle. There is still more room. God's reality is one of abundance and inclusion. I like this picture by a Swiss painter named Eugene Bernand. I can relate as one who is blind and needed to receive the invitation to be led in. And I think the trouble is that we have a hard time living into this invitation sometimes. We feel like there's not enough time, not enough resources, not enough room. We weigh our yes according to what we think we have time for or who we think we have time for. What, what is taking up your time? What do your oxen or your field or your loves look like? I noticed that most of what got in the way, most of the excuses that people gave in this story had to do with provisions that they had made for themselves. And I think we're not so different when it comes to how we relate to God sometimes. There are distractions and excuses that keep us from responding to the invitation of Jesus. We might think that we know what we need and bind ourselves to it. But what if the good things, the responsible things, the personal needs that we think we have get in the way of what actually satisfies our deepest longings? It turns out that in this context, um, they're actually ridiculous excuses. No one would have bought a field without first going to examine it. Um, no one who owned five yoke of oxen wouldn't have other people who could go work for them. That's evidence of tremendous wealth. Um, that may have just been a Middle Eastern way of rejecting the man who is throwing the banquet, who we find out very quickly is the kind of person who crosses all the barriers and breaks societal norms. He went on to invite, even compel, people who were well outside the circle of the elite 
He broke the system. He didn't protect the social arrangement. Maybe those excuses were not just about making provisions for themselves. Maybe the potential guests were protecting the societal norms that keep them comfortable. Maybe they didn't want to participate in a feast with the kind of man who would include people outside their narrow circle. When we think about our busyness and how we spend our time doing the work to cross barriers and connect outside of the circles that make us comfortable is always worth it. We're participating in the kingdom of God. So I think we can ask God to clarify how to prioritize our time and to not try to be in charge of it all. One person who got baptized uh, yesterday told his story of coming to Jesus when he realized that all of the distractions that he was pursuing weren't real. They were not satisfying or fulfilling his deeper need that he felt. So he turned to Jesus and the church. And then another person told me yesterday that they are seriously considering finding a different job to make more space and energy in their lives to do whatever God wants them to do beyond work and recovering from work. Wow. To me, that's a desire to respond to Jesus' invitation. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's been my experience that I don't always know what I need. I've had all kinds of excuses for, about protecting myself or providing for myself and keeping up with my responsibilities. But I learned that I can't follow Jesus on my own. That experience of the kingdom of God that Jesus is teaching about, that feast, is experienced in the body of Christ. We need each other. No one is replaceable. Maybe you don't feel like you have much capacity to even show up here right now, but we need you. You matter, even if you don't think that you do. It's true that we will cope without you, but it would be better to have you with us. We even have ways that you can be involved. We need new partners on our tech teams, uh, on our worship teams, on our hosting team, with our children. You can even be a cell leader apprentice and help lead one of the a couple of large cells that are about ready to multiply. But if you already feel busy, you likely don't feel like you can add something else. Ask Jesus what the invitation is and where your deepest needs lie or what you might be protecting. That might help you discern. And I think for now, we may just need to note how busy we are and ask God and our friends about it. Receive the accountability and see what God does with that. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, 
you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.